Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Oh man, it is an honor and a pleasure to be before you today. Um, for those who are, were expecting Pastor Brandon, um, keep him in prayer. He and Ty are ministering in Jersey uh, today. And so uh, as God continues to use him, not only to minister here, um, you know, sometimes God opens doors uh, for him to minister other places. And so we have to, this is too heavy for that. Okay. So we have to be mindful that when he accepts these opportunities to go minister, um, that we keep him in prayer, him and Ty in prayer, because they are a unit. They are a team. And so we have to be mindful of that. And so um, my name is Craig Holiday. Um, this is not my first time being here at Epiphany to speak before you. Um, and uh, it's an honor to be here. And I have my beautiful wife with me. VJ. Um, her name is Vanessa. I call her VJ, and that's a long story. And, and they only gave me a couple of minutes to just share a, a, a talk with you guys. But uh, I thank God that because this past May 15th, we celebrated 24 years of marriage. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And so um, I'm honored. And so I, we, were, we were talking earlier and realized that the first time I actually uh, spoke at Epiphany was back at the old building. Um, and I spoke as a guest pastor because I was an associate pastor at another church here in Brooklyn at that time. And then I'm, I'm mindful that just this past April, when I spoke here, I was visiting the church because my wife and I were trying to figure out where we're going to land next because we had transitioned out of the church that we were, we were at. And now I stand before you today as a member of Epiphany. <laughs> And so when I say we have to keep our pastor in prayer because Pastor Brandon is my pastor as well. And so I just, I just want to be clear on that. Um, and uh, I also want to take a moment just to thank each and every one of you that have made this transition so great. The love that we've received coming in the door every time that we've come here, um, the love that is just uh, shown towards us, those who have made this transition so easy in terms of understanding what church family is about. And excuse my spinning around. I just want to make sure I hit everyone. I was reminded again by Gabe, just make sure you keep on a pivot. And, and so I, I thank Sister Carol. Uh, she's always made me feel welcome. Um, brother Caleb, I appreciate your honesty and your transparency, brother. Um, every time you are up here and you're on the mic, um, I'm reminded of how we're supposed to come to the Lord, like little children. And that's how you always come. Um, 
and everyone knows, Gay, Ed, who I've known for so long and, and so many others. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll put in a shameless plug. I know the time is running. I get it. I'll put in a shameless plug because, um, you know, one of the things that I realized that as I was transitioning from where I was to here, um, all my spiritual mentors were telling me that, hey, Craig, just be mindful. Wherever you go, you are not going to sit on the sideline because you're not that type of guy. You have to be in the game. That's sports talk for some of you. And so Pastor Brandon and, and Ty has entrusted my wife and I to kind of head up the marriage ministry, premarital process and everything else. But, you know, the, the, the great thing is, is that we get to serve with Matt and Chelsea. And just our conversations, um, it's just been great. And so, you know, Pastor uh, B and I, um, when I met him years ago, it was such a kindred spirit. And uh, we have come to the place where we realize that when we decide that we're gonna get together for coffee for like an hour, and it turns out to be three hours, we're gonna stop trying to time box this thing and just do it. And, and, and kind of block out four hours and just see how God leads us because we, we just continue to talk and talk and talk. And so before I jump into this message, because I see the time is counting down and I'm mindful of it, let, let me just open up in a word of prayer. And Father God, I just thank you for, thank you for today. Thank you for the rising of the sun. Thank you for your grace, your mercy. But most of all, Lord, thank you for your love. And God, I just pray even right now, Lord, as your servant, Lord, that you would hide me behind your cross, that you would use my few pieces of bread, my few fishes, Lord, that you would bless it, multiply it so that it might be a blessing to your people, to those who are here in this house, those who are watching online. Let your name be glorified in everything that we say and do going forward. In Jesus' name, amen. And so this week has been an interesting week, hasn't it? On Tuesday, I'm coming out of a four and a half hour meeting and I leave the office and I'm walking down the street in the city and I see it's getting dark and I'm trying to figure out, okay, so why is it, is it me? But I'm also smelling smoke and I'm trying to, you know, figure this all out because I was totally unaware that there was wildfires going on up in Canada. I was totally unaware of that. And so I'm walking down Broadway and I'm noticing the sky is getting darker and darker. The smell of smoke is getting heavier and heavier. And this couple pops out of Starbucks as I'm walking down the block and say, yeah, this is because of the wildfires in, in, in uh, Canada. And I go, wow, that's, that's unbelievable that this is going on in Canada and it's affecting us down here in New York. And it went further south as well. And I began to realize that as I stayed home on Wednesday because they suggested everyone stay home and everything else. And I get up on Thursday morning, on Wednesday, excuse me, on Thursday morning, I get up to, to go into the office because I had a, a meeting uh, with someone who was coming in from out of town. I get on the subway platform and it feels like we're back in 2020 because people are wearing masks again. And I'm going, oh my goodness, Lord, no, not again. <laughs> not again, not another crisis situation. 
And so my, my talk today is just to talk about how Jesus is in the middle of every crisis that we face. He really is. And, and, and this, is, this is the thing that spoke to me was because back in 2020, November 28th was a normal day for me, right? I get up, it's right after Thanksgiving, I get up and prior to that, I had conversations with my two siblings. I have an older brother, younger sister, and we had decided that, you know, take mom to uh, uh, shopping for a new fridge and we wanted to, you know, surprise her with a new fridge. And my brother takes her out to PC Riches, they buy a new fridge, but she's saying she's not feeling well. And so when she gets home, she calls my sister who lives near her and, and my sister rushes her to the emergency room and come to find out when she gets into the emergency room, the doctors tell her, hey, listen, you need to get in touch with her primary care physician because she has some serious complications right now. And so we take her to the hospital. My sister takes her to the hospital that her primary care physician is uh, re, re, uh, kind of affiliated with and so they begin to run tests on her and everything else. And then we find out that she is suffering from some serious health complications that we were unaware of, but she was aware of. And she didn't want to concern us. And so I'm going back and forth to the hospital. And one of the things that, that got me was because we're still in pandemic mode in such a way. And so the hospital only allowed two visitors. And so since my sister, my younger sister was her healthcare proxy. She obviously escorted her to the hospital. But then I go that day and, and, and they register me as her second guest because they were only allowing two guests. And so when my brother goes up the next day, who's the oldest, he's not allowed in. He, he's not allowed in. And they told us we can't transfer the guest names. And so now my mom is in the hospital. He's not allowed in. And we're in a crisis. We're trying to figure out what's going on with mom. So I'm up there on December 22nd and I'm feeding her soup and, and you know, like a good son, I'm, I'm feeding her the soup out of the cup of soup I had. It was some good pumpkin soup. Oh my goodness. And I'm giving her from my spoon and, and everything else because that's how she fed me when I was a kid. And so I get a call that next morning on December 23rd and my sister tells me, well, listen, I just got a call from the hospital and they say they have to shut the hospital down because there's been an outbreak of COVID-19. And mom has it. Now, mind you, I was feeding her with my spoon and actually going back and forth. And so now I have to go home and tell my wife, and my sister-in-law, who was planning to take a trip that day, I was taking them to the airport that day, that, hey, listen, you got to change your plans. We got to go get tested for COVID-19 because my mom has it. And they shut down the hospital. And for all you married brothers, <laughs> I don't know, when you have to tell bad news to your spouse, you just begin to pray. <laughs> you begin to pray. And so we all came up negative, which was good. But little did I know that by February 17th, she would transition. We never had a chance to see her anymore until she was in the ICU. And so it was a crisis situation for us. 
It was a crisis situation because my mom, as far as I knew, she was the first person that ever introduced us to Christ. I'm a product of a praying mother. I've always told people that. As my mother prayed me into the church. She had to. You know, my, my older brother and my younger sister, they were compliant. I was the rebellious one. I was the kid, I was a rascal when I was a little guy. I was the guy that would go to Sunday school and try to figure out a way to ditch it. I was the guy that would get money for Sunday school to put me off in basket and I would run off and buy candy. <laughs> Some people don't know about Sunday school. So Sunday school for me when I was a kid was you had to, uh, when you came to church before the main service started, you went to Sunday school and you learned Bible stories, right? And you learned about David and, and Goliath and you learned about Daniel and the lion den and you heard all these great stories. But at that age, I was just like, hey, listen, I've been in school all week. I'm not going to sit in school again. <laughs> but it was a crisis situation. So what I want to talk to you today is about being in a crisis situation and understanding that Jesus is right there with us. And one of the stories that really shows that to me is found in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to be fast now because, uh, but I'm not going to skirt out on God's word. Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33, and they're going to show them on the screen. And it says this, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. While he sent the people home, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there all alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sing. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reacted, reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. And so I'm always mindful that when you read the Bible, and I'm, I'm quite sure I've heard Pastor Brandon say this and anyone else who has spoken up here is when you read things like immediately after or therefore in the Bible, you always want to go back to, okay, what, what, what preceded this? What was before this? What took place? And I'm mindful of, even in Hebrews, Hebrews 12.1, it says, therefore, since we have this cloud of witnesses, right? You go back to Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. And we just heard Brother Lionel, um, Pastor Lionel, excuse me, uh, King, give a great message last week on faith. He spoke from the Hall of Faith and just talked about that. And so I want to give some context to what's been going on in this particular chapter of Matthew. 
So when you go to the, the beginning of Matthew, Jesus finds out that John the Baptist was beheaded and he was dead. And, and, and don't overlook that because a lot of times we forget that John the Baptist was Jesus' first cousin. So that was dear to his heart. And it said that he was grieved. You know, I said when I was in Sunday school, um, I would cut out. But, you know, you always had to have these memory verses. And my favorite verse was the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Well, listen, it got me off the hook so many times. But that just shows Jesus' humanity. He was God in flesh. And so Jesus is mourning the loss of his cousin. John the Baptist. And in spite of that, because it says that Jesus tried to get alone, and what happens is the crowd comes. The crowd follows him. And now he has a crowd of, it says, 5,000 that's following him. And these 5,000 people, after Jesus sees, has compassion for them and everything else, he begins to speak to them and gives them a sermon and everything else. And what you begin to find out is that the disciples are like getting hungry and the people are getting hungry and the disciples do their usual thing. Uh, just like when they uh, tried to keep the children from Jesus, they say, hey, look, send these people home. We, we can't feed them. They're hungry. We're hungry. We're, we're, we're done with them. And so Jesus says to them, no, you guys feed them because he's, he's, he's kind of like testing them. And when you, you read the disciples come to him and say, hey, listen, we have five loaves and two fishes. Now, it doesn't say this in Matthew, but if you go to uh, John, it tells you how they get those five loaves and two fishes. Well, if you don't realize, they got them from a young man, a little boy. So this young man's mother had made him lunch. And he's sitting maybe under a tree with his John the Baptist lunchbox. And he's sitting there, and he's hungry, and he's ready to eat. And the next thing, and, and this is why I say, these disciples had a little gangster in them. Because Andrew, Peter's brother, and we know Peter was always doing stuff. Andrew sees this young man and tells him, run your meal. <laughs> I, you got to run your lunch. You, you, we need your lunch. And I can't imagine this young man is sitting under a tree going, wow, this guy's getting ready to take, he's going to you know, jack me for my lunch. And so they go to Jesus and a miracle happens, right? Jesus takes the lunch. And, and, and when we say five loaves and it's translated that, they were literally like silver dollars, pancakes. It, just, just to put this in context, they're like little silver dollar pancakes and two little minnows. They say fish, but they're little minnows. If you, you use minnows to catch bigger fish. If you're going fishing, and I know the men go on fishing trips and everything else. Hey, guys, I, I'm, I'm going to apologize now. You'll never catch me on a fishing trip. It ain't happening. I'm, I'm just, I, I don't like fishing. <laughs> so it just said, why? I, I just don't like fishing. That's not my thing. And we all have quirks, right? And so don't look at me like I'm this evil person. <laughs> There's some things you won't do. But they have two little minnows. And even in Jesus' grief, he's ministering. He's ministering. And so I want to point something out to you. Because right now, you might find yourself in a crisis. The thing you have to realize is, is that sometimes when you're going through your crisis, 
The Lord wants to use you to minister to someone else. Because Jesus is in a crisis situation. He lost his first cousin. He lost a family member. And sometimes when we are facing challenges, Jesus wants to use us to be able to be an encouragement to others. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 1.4. He says this, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled, when we will be able to give them the same comfort God gives us. So as God has given us comfort while we're going through our trials and tribulations and challenges in life, he wants to use us sometimes to give others comfort to speak life into their situation. But it also says this, after spending time with them, he, 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 uh, he himself went alone to pray, right? It says in Matthew 14, 23, it says, after spending, sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Jesus still got alone with the Lord. And so that should always speak to us, is that, we need to be intentional and deliberate about spending our quiet time with the Lord. And what that means is turning off the cell phone, turning off the computer, turning off the television, getting alone with God. And I love what Mother Teresa once said when she was being interviewed. A reporter asked Mother Teresa, when you pray, what do you say to God? And she said, nothing. I sit there to hear what he wants to say to me. Because what happens with a lot of us is that we don't take time out to sit and listen to what God has to say to us. We want to give him a whole laundry list. And yes, the Bible says, come to him with praise and thanksgiving, giving him our petitions and our requests and everything else. But don't you sometimes want to hear from the creator of the universe? Every, the one who spoke everything into existence? And so it's important and prayer, to me, it's a lifeline. Because sometimes I don't know how to pray, but the Bible says it's the Spirit that teaches us how to pray so that we might. So just, just imagine this. The Spirit of God that dwells in us articulates our very feelings and our very thoughts to the Father in such a way that it causes Him to respond. Can you imagine that? He says he's as close as the mention of his name. But in Matthew 14, 24, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. Be mindful. The disciples are in the, mid the, the middle of God's will. Why? Because Jesus is the one that told them to get on the boat and go across. And so I just want to highlight something here. I, I, I still have my points to make, but I just want to highlight something here. In this. You can be in the center of God's will and be facing a crisis. You can be in the center of God's will and facing a, a, a crisis. You know, I, I'm always blown away by us as believers. A lot of times we give the devil credit for stuff 
that he hasn't even done. And, 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 and get, don't get me wrong, he'll take the credit. He'll, he'll take the credit. But sometimes we have to be mindful that even when we're in the center of God's will, where we're carrying out the plan, the call, we're walking down the road that God has called us to walk down, we will face opposition. If you don't believe that, look at the guys in the Hall of Faith. Hebrews 11. Man, it said that they, they were receiving their dead. Some were sword in half, fed to the lions. And we're not being fed to the lions, but we're going to go through challenges. And, and you know, there's a, there's a promise that Jesus gives that I don't see a lot of Christians embrace. He says, you will have trials and tribulations. <laughs> we love the other promises that God gives us of prosperity and everything else. But I don't see too many of us raising our hands going, you know what? I like that one. Give me some trials. Give me some tribulations. Give me some challenges. Give me some difficulties. But we will have them. And these guys were in the center of God's will. And, and mind you, they're not novice fishermen. This is their profession. They were fishermen. So they understood what storms were like. They understood the storms that would come up on the sea and how the, the mountain ranges were that would create these storms. And so my question to you is this. As we continue, what crisis you find yourself experiencing right now? You might be overwhelmed with life challenges because as life evolves, challenges are going to happen. You know, I just spoke about the pandemic and uh, Sister Cal and I were talking upstairs how they, they describe it as long COVID and how it's affecting people's health right now. So you might be experiencing some health challenges that um, maybe because of a result of COVID or not, that you're trying to figure out, God, why am I experiencing this? Might be a loss of job. Your career trajectory has changed. And it's not working out quite the way you thought it was going to work out. Could be in your finances, right? You know, they say ends meet, but ends aren't meeting right now. And right now you're looking at and you're saying to yourselves, hey, listen, I, I'm carrying more debt than I thought I should be carrying. Could be your finances. You know, I said that by God's grace, Vijay and I are going to head up the marriage ministry. It could be in your marriage. You know, the one thing I've come to find out in my years of ministry is that there's a lot of marriages out there that are suffering in silence. And the reason why they suffer in silence is because they don't want anyone to know what their, their challenges are. Well, let me tell you something. Hey, listen, all of us have challenges in marriage. All of us. After 24 years, you know what? By God's grace, we've been able to manage and work through those challenges in a better way, in a more healthier way. But you're going to face challenges. I don't care how long you stay married. And, 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 and let me say this. There are some situations in your marriage that you might find, you know what? You know, there's a, a level of abuse that you should no longer be in. This. But outside of that, just because... You don't agree on things, that's no reason to try to come up with a, 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 an escape plan. Because that's not in God's will. Could be a loss of a loved one. I told you, my crisis was I lost my mom. So, whatever crisis you're facing, as long as you're doing it 
and walking according to how God has called you to walk, you do it. Fear can overwhelm us because these guys became afraid. And, and an acronym that I once learned years ago about fear is false evidence appearing real <laughs> with fear. Because we will take circumstances and we'll focus more on those circumstances than we focus more on the Lord. And we got to be mindful of that because they didn't recognize Jesus. They said this in verse 26b, it says, in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. These guys have been hanging with Jesus. He's walking on water. They know what he looks like. And because they're more focused on the circumstances that's going on around them, they can't even recognize him. And they scream, it's a ghost. It has to be a ghost. Right? And I get it. Yeah, you hear a guy walking out on, on, on the water and he's, he's just strolling. Because I can't imagine Jesus running on the water. I, I see Jesus strolling. You know, like, hey, I got this under control. This is, this is, this is, this is what I do. Right? This is new to you, but I'm true to this. You're new to this. I didn't make that up. I got that from somebody, so don't, don't quote me on that. But you know what? Even in their challenges and what they're facing, there's three things I want to I bring out is this. He always comforts. That's the first thing. Because it says this in Matthew 14, 27. It says, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. You know... I want to encourage you, and I'm quite sure everyone who gets up here on this platform, and I, and I so appreciate Pastor Brent, study your word, because I am here is actually a poor translation. It's a poor translation of what Jesus really said, because he used the same word that God used when he spoke to, to, to Moses on the mountain, and when Moses asked him, so who should I tell Pharaoh who's sending me? God said, I am. And so as Jesus is talking to these disciples, he doesn't say, I am here. He says, I am. Jesus says, I am your Jehovah Rapha, your healer. He says, I am your Jehovah uh, Jireh, your provider. I am your shield. I am your faith. I am your, 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 your helmet of salvation. I am your breastplate of righteousness. I am your shield of faith. Jesus says, I am, not I am here. There's no beginning with me and there's no end with me. I am who I am. And that's what Jesus is telling them. I am. He comforts them with those words. Here's the other thing I believe we need. We need courage to carry out God's game plan for our lives. And I'm... From time to time, I'll slip in some sports vernacular in there. But we, we need courage to carry out God's game plan for our lives. Listen to what it says in Matthew 14, 28 through 29. It says, then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. 
But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. It's interesting because Peter was just being Peter. You know, this is the Peter that uh, when Jesus was going to the cross and Jesus was laying out the game plan to Peter and the other disciples, Peter was the one who told Jesus, hey, listen, it's not going to go down like that. This is, and, and, and here's the other thing. I don't know why you put these other guys on the team. You, you could have just rolled with me. These other cats, they're losers. And Jesus had to tell Peter, hey, Pete, 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 Pete. This is, this is Craig's, Craig's rendition of it, right? Pete, listen, I have prayed for you. I've prayed for you because the enemy has asked me that he might sift you as wheat. And I think we forget that a lot of times. The enemy had to actually come to Jesus and say, hey, you know your guy, Peter? He's very prideful. And, 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 and it reminds me of Job, right? When, when the devil is walking around and God puts restrictions on the devil and how much he can do in Job's life. So in that same way, the enemy comes to Jesus and says, hey, listen, your guy, Pete, he's full of pride. He's always putting his foot in his mouth and everything else. Hey, can, can I just mess with his life a little bit? And Jesus tells him, he didn't tell him, I've, I've told him no. He says, I prayed that you would restore your brothers. In other words, Pete, he's going to mess with you. And, and you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. And so we have to be mindful that it's going to take courage. I like what one commentator says about this. He says, his faith failed. His courage staggered. And in the hurry of his thoughts, he forgot that Jesus was at hand and was seized with a sudden terror. And now the secret power of God, which while Peter confidently relied on Jesus, had made the sea firm under him, began to be withdrawn. And in proportion as his faith decreased, the water yielded and he sunk. In proportion to his faith, courage and faith goes hand in hand. In our crisis situations, there will be times where we will want to give up on Jesus. We'll be facing tough, difficult situations. But I've always said that it's always too soon, too soon to give up on Jesus. It's always too soon. And because Peter got caught up in the waves and everything else, I mean, just think about it. Peter's the only one we know of that walked on water other than Jesus. Human being that walked on water. So Jesus, so Peter can actually have that up on the other disciples. Hey, I walked on water with the Lord. But Pete, you sunk. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a short lived. Well, I did it. You guys didn't jump out the boat. But it takes faith and courage while we're in the middle of our crisis. And here's the, the last thing. I have more, but here's the last thing. He's always in control. God is always in control. The Lord is always in control. It's just think about this. In Matthew 14, 30, see, 
in 31, he says, save me, Lord. This is Peter. Peter's crying out, save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And we all, quiet as kept, if our lives were put up on one of these monitors, can say that we have doubted the Lord from time to time. We're in the middle of a crisis and we're going, God, where are you? He is always in control. You know, I'm mindful that, you know, in Matthew 8, when they're in a storm, Jesus is in the boat. And he's the one sleeping in the bottom of the boat while these disciples are going, hey, listen, uh, we're in a storm. And now he, they go and wake Jesus up and they go, hey, don't you even care about us? We're about to die. Now, that's interesting because that's in chapter 8 of Matthew. I'm reading from chapter 14. And so I, I just want to just review a couple of things that have taken place through chapter 8 and chapter 14. Now, you have to be mindful. Whenever you read the Bible, it's not like when you turn the page, this happens the next day. There's a time period that these things are taking place, right? There's some time that's, that's, that's gathering as these things. But just think about this. Jesus heals the two demonic possessed men. Right. And it's interesting because when he gets and in, in, in got God is in when he gets there and these two demonic men who've been amongst the tombs come to him. When you read about that, they come and the demonic forces that are possessing these two men acknowledge who Jesus is. They call him the son of man. What do you have to do with us? And why are you tormenting us before our time? So in other words, these guys acknowledge that who Jesus is, the son of man, and understand that there's an appointed time that they are going to be tortured. The disciples were there. He didn't do this in secret. They've seen Jesus' consistency. And what he does is he sends the demonic forces into which they're called legion, into the pigs, and they go over the side. The healing of the paralytic, right? His friends, and and it's not captured this way in, in Matthew, but I love it because his friends bring him to the house that Jesus is in. They can't get in. They go up on the roof. They tear a hole in the roof and lay him before Jesus. And I love the fact that it says because Jesus saw their faith. It wasn't the guy laying on the mat's faith. It was, it was their faith. And so I, I want to encourage you. When you know someone else is going through, bring them to the Lord. Please. When God places someone on your heart to pray for them, pray for them. Don't say, and you know what? And, and I was guilty of this years ago and God convicted me. I would see people hear what they were going through and i say, I'm going to pray for you. And one day God convicted me and said, you know what? I want you to stop that because what happens is you go away, you forget about their situation and you don't even pray for them. So what I started doing was stopping right then and there and begin to pray with them because you don't know what they're going through. So if God places someone on your heart, pray for them. The encounter with the woman who had the issue of blood 
and Jairus' daughter, right? That healing takes place right in that same time capsule, and, and it's captured in Matthew, uh, between Matthew 8 and Matthew 14. Why? Because Jesus is walking through a crowd. He's walking through a crowd, and there's this woman who's been dealing with an issue of blood for so 13 years, and what happens is, she says, I, I don't even need an audience with the Lord. I, I don't need to talk with him. All I need to do is touch the hem of his garment, and I know I'll be made whole. That's faith in action. And even though the crowd is pressing in, like being on the two or three train during rush hour, this woman touches the hem of his garment, and Jesus stops and goes, who touched me? And the disciples are going, what, are you kidding me? This is, this is, this is crowds all over. And not only does she get healed, but she gets restored because Jesus looks at her and says, daughter, you've been healed. And the reason I, I, I jump on that is because of this. In those days, as she walked around, she was supposed to walk around saying unclean. I don't know what names she was called while she was in her condition. But Jesus calls her daughter. <laughs> he restores her. Not only does he give her health, but he restores her dignity. And so the disciples are there. They're, they're, they're bearing witness to all these things. They're seeing these things going on. And I know he only took the three with him to Jairus' home to heal his daughter. But there's another healing that they were witness to. Blind Barnabas, right? Blind Barnabas is walking on the road. Is sitting on the side of the road. Jesus is coming in town, and the people are screaming, and Barnabas says, who, who, who's, who, what's all this commotion? They say, Jesus. And Barnabas begins to scream out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, which is a messianic term because he understood the deity of David being connected to Jesus, and he's screaming out. And so some of the commentators believe that blind Barnabas was about 60 yards from Jesus. Now, just imagine, 60 yards from Jesus, he has a crowd screaming at him, and he hears blind Barnabas' voice. Why? He's crying out in faith. He's crying out in faith. See, I, the one thing I've come to realize in my 30-something my years of walking with the Lord is this. It's faith that moves the heart of God. Oh, man. He responds in such a way. And what happens? Barnabas gets an audience with the Lord, says, what do you want? This is my sight. Why? Because he knows that if he gives it, he's a beggar. I, I, I don't need your money. I need sight because if I get my sight back, I can get money. I, I can go out and make a living now. I love the fact that the man with the withered hand Right? That, that healing takes place as well. I'm, I'm just doing an inventory. Why? Because I'm going to come to a place where we're going to land. But the man with the withered hand, why? Jesus is standing in the, the, the synagogue. He's teaching. There's this man standing there with his hand covered. And it was his right hand. Hand of power. Right? Right hand. And Jesus calls this man forward, and what happens is, and it's not captured this way in Matthew, but when you go to the other synoptic gospels, with his Mark and Luke, it captures it this way. Jesus calls this man forward, and the religious leaders are looking around because it's the Sabbath. They want to catch Jesus doing something uh, 
on the Sabbath, a healing on the Sabbath. And so what Jesus does is he tells this man to stretch out his hand. And I love the fact that when you read it in Luke or Mark, it says that his hand was restored. I love that because when you read the commentators and the theologians, this guy's right hand, he was a masonry guy and he suffered a severe accident, which hurt his hand to the extent where we didn't have modern medicine back then. You know, I had to have knee surgery a couple of years back and it was Thank God for physical therapists and everything else. I was able to to get around within two weeks after getting my knee scoped. But that was because of modern medicine. They they didn't have that back then. Back then, you got injured, you just lived with it. You just lived with it. And so this man has a withered hand, and Jesus restores it. And so I, I want to encourage Someone that might be sitting here that may need to hear this. Whatever's broken in your life, whatever you think you've lost, Jesus can restore and repair anything that's going on in your life. If it's a broken marriage, if you think your finances are on the brink, if your health is failing, we serve a God. Thank you, Matthias. I was going to ask you to bring it in. And I see they gave me another couple of minutes, but I'm going to bring it home. It says, when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. I don't want you to miss that because in chapter 8, Jesus was in the boat. Chapter 14, Jesus is walking on water. Back in those days, commentators believe in ancient times that if you can control the wind and you can control the water, you are a God. That's just how they thought. If you can control the wind and you can control the water, you would consider a God. I love the fact that this says in verse 33, Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. One commentator puts it this way. He says this. They confess that they now realize that what the father had previously declared. You go back to the beginning of Matthew. This is my son whom I have well pleased. And what even the demons had confessed was true indeed. Remember I talked about the demoniacs? Where those demons acknowledged who Jesus was, the Son of Man? They are overwhelmed by the infinite power and love of Jesus. That is, by the fact that he was able to do what he had just done and was willing to do it for them. In other words, the thing that they felt that you can control, Jesus is now walking on. (laughs) Can I say something to you? Whatever crisis you may find yourself in, Jesus walks on those things. (laughs) Jesus walks on those things. 
We serve a God, the Bible says there is nothing too hard for him. And so whatever you might be facing today, down the road, you might find yourself in a good place, you know, things are going well. But I'm always mindful of a, a pastor friend once told me years ago, he says, you know, Craig, I found in my years of walking with the Lord is this. You're either getting ready to enter a crisis, you either find yourself in the middle of a crisis, or you find yourself exiting a crisis as you walk with the Lord. And it always comes down to, he's always the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you. There's no need for an altar call. There's no need to ask anyone to raise their hands. You know every situation that's in this room today, every situation that's online. And we thank you, Lord, that you are God who comforts us. We thank you that you are always in control. We thank you, Lord, that even in the middle of our crisis, Lord, if we exercise faith, it moves your heart, it moves your mind, and you take compassion on us, your children. We thank you for every situation that we might find ourselves in because we know that as we go through these crises, Lord, you are with us. And Lord, I pray that we would all take a posture and a position of seeking your face even more so that we might learn the lessons that you want to show us as we go through this crisis. Lord, we don't want to exit a crisis thinking the same way and believing the same way we were before we entered it. We want to come out with greater faith, greater determination, with our hearts so inclined towards you, Lord, knowing, Lord, that as we go through life, oh God, and we look at your resume over our lives, you have been faithful. You have been just. You have been loving. You have been kind. You have been gentle. And Lord, we thank you for that. And I just pray that you would whisper into the ears and the hearts of those who might be struggling in their faith right now. Let them know, Lord, that they are your children, that you are with them every step of the way. We thank you, Father, that we can come to your throne of grace and not only receive your unmerited favor, Lord, but receive your enabling power to do the things that we can't do in our own strength, but we can only do when we're depending on you. We thank you for that, and we praise you. In Jesus the Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, amen.